0: If you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, uh, because uh, going through Exodus, you're going to be needing your Bibles. Uh, And so if you have them, open up to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have one, there should be a blue one uh, right around you somewhere. Uh, You can open up to Exodus chapter 3. We're doing the whole chapter this morning. And so with that said, uh, we need to take the next 10 minutes and I need to read all of chapter 3 to you. It shouldn't be 10 minutes. Uh, I'll read fast. But uh, as you're opening up there, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. And what Moses writes, he writes this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hivites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that he will let you go, and I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you have learned that when you have leave you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, simply put, I ask that you'd meet us today, that you would strengthen us, that you would equip us. Father, that you would bless this time for your glory and our benefit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. morning. Uh, It's good to have you all out on this rainy day. Uh, I do love Sundays, and seeing you uh, on Sundays and worshiping with you all is great. Um, life throws some curveballs at us at times, doesn't it? Uh, two weeks ago, the fuse blew in the church 20 minutes before we started, and it's not you couldn't reset it. We had to replace the whole thing, and so uh, that happened. The, the microphone wasn't working last week. Uh, the microphone did work, but the remote didn't work, and so life throws curveballs at us, and we all know that. I think it was last week or the week before I told you that following Jesus is like being in a hurricane and getting hit by a flying cow. Any of you remember me tell you that? Some of you gave me a look as a, what what do you mean by a flying cow? Well, simply put that, you don't expect a flying cow. And so following Jesus brings things into our lives that we would never expect or think that would happen. That is what it's following Jesus is like at times. And because of that, it is hard at times to step out in faith to do something to start something new, whatever it is. It's hard to do that at times. And then there's other times in life where you've been involved in something, and it could be anything, and you looked at yourself in the mirror going, I don't know if I could keep doing this. Have you ever been there? I don't know if I could keep going. I don't know if I could could keep doing this. We've all been in situations like that, and we're going to enter this morning a section of Scripture that is very important to me. Exodus chapter 3 and 4, as some of you know, are the main sections that God used to get me into the ministry. You see, uh, growing up, not knowing much of the Bible, only going to church for a couple of years, sleeping some of those Sundays, if I'm honest, having speech issues, are not the best ingredients for being a pastor, right? Not knowing much of the Bible... Not going to church for a long time and battling speech issues are not the, the those are not the ingredients you look into for your next pastor, right? And, and, and those are me. I still have no idea how it all worked out 16, 17 years ago. I have no idea because I actually found out that someone voted against me uh, so that I couldn't come into the ministry and there's only two people voting. So I, I have no idea how it, it all worked out. But from the start, it has been a struggle of, Lord, there's absolutely no way you want me to do this. There's no way I, I can do this. And it has still been a struggle to where there are many times, and if you don't believe me, you could ask Tom, and you could even ask my wife, where I will sit back and go, there, there's, there's no possible way that, God, you still want me to be doing this, that you want me to be a pastor. I, I can't do this. I entered the ministry and I was filling the shoes of a highly gifted pastor and person, or at least trying to fill the shoes. And it was, it was all of those feelings of, I can't, I shouldn't. There's no way I could be doing this, or I, I, I can't do it at all. And I'm not sure if you've ever felt that way when it came to something. It doesn't have to be ministry. It could be absolutely anything where you've felt those feelings. That life brings something your way and you're like, nope, not me. You want an example? Ready? You teach Sunday school here at the church. See, nine out of ten of you just had those feelings. Nope, not me. No way can I do that. See, you now know these feelings. We find ourselves in life at times where we struggle to step out in faith to do something. And we struggle to keep going. Moses was that same person. As you're going to see this morning and throughout the book of Exodus, Moses struggled to step out and do what God was calling him to do. And he struggled to keep doing what God wanted to do, wanted him to do. But here's the truth in all of this. Proper knowledge initiates and sustains perseverance in the Lord. Let me tell you that again. Proper knowledge initiates and sustains our perseverance in God. That as you have a right knowledge of God, that enables you to get moving initially. And that right knowledge of God enables you to stay moving forward with Him. And so I have three points for you this morning. Moses and the burning bush, Moses and his doubt, and Moses and the I am. So, are you with me? The 49ers played Thursday, so I'm good to stay here all day, okay? So are we good? All right? Rainy day, kind of sleepy. We got to get going. So here's where we got to go. We got to go Moses in the burning bush, verses 1 to 10. And don't worry, I'm not reading it all through again to you. That's why we read it to begin with. Last week, we left Moses in Midian. And you remember I told you about Midian. It is so far out in the desert that they wouldn't even put a dollar general there, right? There's absolutely nothing in Midian at all. And we saw last week that Moses ran to Midian because he had killed somebody. He had killed an Egyptian. And so he runs to Midian. And as we talked about last week, he was settling down. He got married. He had a child. And he's starting a career if you want to use those languages. Well, chapter 3 opens up and tells us that Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, here's the thing I want you to get. As we open up in Exodus chapter 3, how old is Moses? See, you all say 40. You're halfway there. 80. Moses is 80. He is 80 right now. And he is tending the sheep of his father-in-law. Once again, don't ever say, I can't do something for the Lord because of my age. Moses just shoots that out of the water. He's 80 and he's tending sheep, okay? When I'm 80, there's no way I'm walking through the desert and mountains with animals. Absolutely not, right? But Moses is doing that. He's being a shepherd. But the thing that gets me is not just that Moses is 80, but that he's tending his father-in-law's flock. We have noticed notice that. You would think that over the last 40 years, that Moses would have had at least tried to get his own flock, to have his own business, to get his own house, to get his own land instead of working for his father-in-law. Because think about what has happened to Moses. Moses quite possibly last week was next in line to be Pharaoh of Egypt. Now he's tending the flock of his father-in-law. Do you think that's a career change? Absolutely. That's like Elon Musk going from being Elon Musk to giving you your french fries at McDonald's, right? That is a huge, huge career change. But that's what happened to Moses. And what we see here is this. I don't think this is what Moses pictured for himself. Last week, Moses goes, I'm the deliverer of the nation of Israel. I know God wants to use me to deliver Israel. And now 40 years later... He's going, this is not what I pictured when I was growing up. Ever been there? You find yourself in life going, this is not what I pictured I would be doing at this point in my life, right? Being a pastor is that for me. Never pictured it. And because of that, and this is just me, but I think Moses lost some of his drive, some of his passion, his purpose, his aim in his life. It doesn't seem as if Moses lived with a goal. Because I was the next Pharaoh. God wanted me to deliver Israel. Now I'm tending my father-in-law's sheep. What's the point? His life was, oh, time to take the sheep out today. Tomorrow, ah, oh, time to take the sheep out. There's no passion, there's no goal, there's no desire, there's no meaning, there's no purpose in Moses' life. But then one day, while Moses was out with the sheep, he came to Horeb. And some of you might be a bit confused, and some of you may even have different wording in your Bible. You go, well, what's Mount Horeb? Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, Okay. Two names for the same place. We got that? Mount Horb and Mount Sinai technically are different because it's two different mountain peaks, but it's on the same mountain range. They are names that are used interchangeably. Everybody okay on that? Okay, good. None of you moved. You're going to make the sermon a lot longer. Mount Horb is Mount Sinai. Okay? So he comes in the mountain, and he sees a bush that was on fire. And a lot of you are still thinking of Charleston Heston. It's okay, right? But he sees the bush on fire, and the bush is not being consumed. Picture, if you will, Tom and I, well, Tom had the. Tom told me he went out for a walk in the woods the other day. And he goes, if you go for a walk, he goes, you have to walk around Plymouth. I go, yeah, I, I don't get to walk around the woods. I get to walk through Plymouth. So imagine you're out walking one day, and a car is on fire, right? Which I've seen, but the car is not actually burning, right? It's not being consumed, right? That is an amazing picture, and that's what Moses is seeing with this bush. He's seen things on fire before. He's an 80-year-old guy. He's probably blown something up along the lines, right? And so, but the thing that's on fire is not being consumed. And so, because of this, Moses goes over to check things out. And when he goes to check things out, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Well, who's the angel of the Lord? You know him as Jesus. Some of you don't realize this. Most likely, the angel of the Lord in the burning bush is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know that? Because the angel of the Lord that speaks to Moses in this passage, and in chapter 4, is speaking in the first person as God. And then if you look down in a couple verses, Moses literally says, the Lord said to me, right? And so scripture paints us out that Jesus, preincarnate Jesus, is the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. Moses meets Jesus in the burning bush. You have to remember, Jesus existed before he was born of Mary. He's the second person of the Trinity. Jesus has always been. He has always been. He, Jesus, it's Jesus. And so Moses is meeting Jesus in the burning bush. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But I do want to point this out to you quickly as well. No day is ordinary when you follow Jesus. Moses got up that day, Ah, time to take the sheep out. Nothing is going to happen today. And then he has a burning bush. Some of you, those interruptions that you try to avoid in your daily life, might just be appointment sent by God for you. And you need to realize that. And so as I said, Moses goes over to the burning bush to check things out because men like fire. And as Moses is going over, the Lord calls to Moses by name. And he goes, Moses, don't take, don't come any closer. Go take off your sandals. Because the place where you're standing is holy ground. It's dirt. Sand, It's rock. How is it holy? What makes something holy? Absolutely nothing but God. God is the one that makes someone or something holy. And so that place where Moses is having this encounter with God, because God is right there with him. He goes, take off your sandals. This is holy, Moses. You're, you're meeting me. And at this, God goes, Moses, you know who I am? The God of your fathers. God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And at this, Moses hides his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. A proper response to the Lord. A response of humility. Something that Moses has learned over the last 40 years. Humility. At this, the Lord starts to give Moses a message. Don't worry, the whole sermon is not going to be just me summarizing this. And God goes, Moses, I have something for you to do. He goes, I've seen my people. Don't worry, we'll get back to verses 7 and 8. They're important. He goes, I've seen them. I, I've heard them. But then you get to verse 10 and God goes, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt. He goes, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And what you're going to do, Moses, is this. You're going to lead the people out of Israel. Now, let me ask you this. If you're in Moses' shoes and you're 80 years old and God just called you to walk back across the desert, back into Egypt, to lead two million people out of Egypt, what's going to go through your mind? You know what's going to be first in my mind? I got to walk through that sand again? Like, seriously? What's going through your mind? What do you think is going through the mind of Moses when God goes, I want you to go back and I want you to lead them? Your mind, just like Moses' mind, is going to be racing all over the place. If I ask you to do something, your mind races. You want to know how I know that? I can tell. Oh, the pastor asked me this. Oh, no. Oh, wait. No, wait. I, I, and your mind starts racing. Imagine what it was like for Moses. Moses had a flashback to everything we covered last week. Lord, I I was to deliver them, but things didn't work out too well. I killed somebody. And so God calls Moses. And in verses 16 to 22, God gives Moses more of the plan. He goes, Moses, you're to go back and you get all the elders, all the old guys of the nation of Israel together and tell them who you are. And they're going to go, okay, God has sent you and we're going to leave the nation of Israel. And then God goes, after that, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to ask to go on a three-day vacation out in the desert to worship me. But Pharaoh's not going to let you go. And so what I'm going to have to do, Moses, is I'm going to have to force his hand, and I'm going to force him to let you all go. And so God tells Moses everything that's going to happen. So he gets this command from the Lord to go get God's people out of Egypt. No small task, is it? And we think when God asks us to go talk to our coworker about Jesus, it's some huge, difficult thing. So where do you think Moses is at right now? See, I summarized all that because most of you know what took place. You've seen the movie, you've read the thing. You know the story about the burning bush. But let me ask you, where's Moses at in all of that? Do you ever wonder? Well, guess what? You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. Because scripture, Moses actually tells us. It's Moses and his doubts. Verses 11 to 13. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And here we start to see Moses' doubts. He says, I told you his mind raced back to Egypt 40 years earlier. He remembered thinking that God was going to use him to deliver deliver the nation. He remembers the oppression. He remembers the people. He remembers the sights. He remembers the smells. He remembers killing a man. He remembers burying the man. He could probably even go back and remember where he buried the man. He remembers being called out by the Hebrew guy the next day. He remembers all the emotions, all the fears, all the doubts, all that comes running back to him. Can you do that? Do you know I can tell you my first sermon I preached here? Book at Jeremiah. I, you we have things in your mind where your mind just starts racing back and you remember everything. Over this chapter and the next, Moses is going to come up with ready excuse after excuse not to do what God has asked him to do. I want to throw something out to you. Coming up with an excuse not to do what God is asking you to do is, is, a never good, is not a good idea. Nor is it a good excuse. Well, you've never heard my excuse, Pastor. It doesn't matter. You see, no excuse that you ever come up with to give to God, not to do what He's asking you to do, is good enough. Do you know what an excuse is to God? It's just disobedience. That's all it is. We just disobey Him. And this morning, we see two of the excuses that Moses has, and here's the great thing. Most of the excuses that Moses uses are excuses that you will be able to go, that's me. Not all of them, but some of them. The two this morning, you can can go, that's me. And how do I know that? Because you've told them. Excuse number one, Moses goes, I can't. Who am I? It's found in verse 11. I'm going to read it to you again. We just read it. Moses goes, who am I to go do this? Isn't that an amazing response from Moses? God goes, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to lead the nation of Israel out. And he goes, who, who am I to do this? I, I, I'm not good enough to do this. And we all read this and think that Moses is being what? Humble. Mo, that Moses knows his weaknesses, he knows his faults, he knows his sins. And he's just being humble before the Lord. And we go, what humility from Moses. What awe. What a great guy wrong it's an excuse how do we know it's an excuse because he has four more that he's going to throw out at god it's all, all it is an excuse it's actually false humility do you know false humility is pride you know that what moses is saying here is this lord i hear you i understand you because let's be honest. Is it hard to know what God wants you to do when he literally goes, I want you to go to Egypt and lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt? Is there any question what God wants you to do at that point? No. And so Moses goes, God, I hear you. I understand what you're asking me to do, but I can't do that. It's not humility. It's flat-out disobedience. When you tell God you can't do something, it's disobedience. There, it's nothing else. It's not pride. It's not humility. It's, no, it's nothing else. It's literally disobedience. I know you don't think it is, and I don't think it is at times, but it is. I'll give you an example. Think back to when you were a teenager. Some of you, it's going to be easier than others. So I want you to think back to when you are a teenager, right? And you're, let's say your dad goes, I want you to take out the garbage. You got that? Your dad goes, I want you to take out the garbage. And you go, who, me? I can't do that. Who am I to take out the garbage, right? What is your dad going to then say to you? What humility from you. Who who am I to think that you would be able to take out the garbage? You and your your humility, you're right. I'm going to ask somebody else to take out the garbage because your humility is so great. No, what is your dad going to say? going to look at you and go, don't disobey me. Take out the garbage, right? It's not humility. It's disobedience. But that's what we do to God. Some of you know exactly what the Lord has laid on your heart to do but you keep telling Him you can't do it. It's disobedience. I know because I was and am the same way. God, I can't do that. There's no way I could do that. Speech issues, can't do that. Not enough time, can't do that. Not enough schooling, not enough money, not enough sleep. I'm an introvert. Listen, God took an introvert who has speech issues and made him a pastor. You cannot use the introvert card with me because guess who is a big introvert? Me. Right? You can't, you can't, you can't do that. See, when we tell God, I can't, what you're actually telling God is you won't. Two totally different things there that you won't do it because you don't feel like it and you're afraid. So let me ask you this. Are you telling God you can't do something? Because if you are, you're disobeying Him. And disobedience is a sin. And so that was Moses' first excuse. I can't. And so then he comes up with a second excuse. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. And this is found in verse 13. And I love verse 13 because Moses goes, and get this. He goes, well, suppose I go and do what you're asking me to do. Do you get that? Suppose I do this, God. Here's Moses standing in front of God at the burning bush. All of chapter 3, all of chapter 4 is Moses in front of the burning bush. Imagine standing in front of God. God asks you to do something and you go, well, suppose I do that, God. Do you see any humility in that? Absolutely not. That's like, God, eh, I don't think I'm going to be doing this. And so Moses goes, well, suppose I go back. What do I do? What do I tell them as to who sent me? What What do I tell them your name is? Now on that, you need to understand this. If you're to read the book of Genesis, which happens before Exodus, you'll find out that Israel, Abraham and his kids, know the name of God. And so why is Moses going, well, who do I tell them sent me? What's your name? And you go, Moses, Israel already knows God's name. So why do you want to know his name? It's not because Moses is asking for God's name. He's asking for his character. He's asking for their nature. You see, and I've told you this before, names in our culture... Just a way to identify. Hey, there's James. In their culture, it spoke to who you are, your character, your traits, all those things. And that's what Moses is asking. He's like, Who are you? What are you like? What am I supposed to tell them about that? And so Moses says, I can't do this. He goes, I don't have all the answers. I don't know enough. Have you ever found yourself in that boat? Lord, you want me to do that, but I don't know if I have all the answers. God, what, what if this happens? What if, what if that happens, God? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Lord, what am I supposed to do then? People tell me this all the time when you ask them to teach something. Well, I can't do that. I don't know enough. Well, guess what? Nobody knows everything. There's only one person that knows everything, and that's Jesus, and you're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. You see the doubts that Moses has, the excuses that Moses has? Some of the same doubts you have to step out and do what God is asking you to do. Just go, "I, I can't do this. And you can fill in the blank as to why you say you can't do that. And then you go, I don't have enough information, I don't have all the answers. And so we see Moses here struggling to get started, to step out in faith. And we see Moses throughout this book struggling to keep going. There are times that Moses wants to quit. And I will be honest with you and show those to you as we get to them in the book of Exodus where Moses literally goes, God, take me now. I don't know if you've ever been at that point in your life, and I pray that you haven't because it's a very dark, dark place. Where you go, God, just take me. I'm done. It's over. Moses gets there. He's filled with doubt and excuses and fear and worry. And the reason that Moses is filled with all these thoughts and all these emotions is the same reason why you and I are filled with the emotions like them. Because of this. Moses only knows of and only looks at himself and not God. When God goes, Moses, I want you to do this, God goes, well, Moses goes, I I can't do this. I don't have all the answers. Do you get you get the I? And when God comes to you and goes, I want you to do this, you and I we do the same thing. I can't do this. I don't have all the answers. And there's more excuses we'll get into next week. But Moses is only looking at himself. He's looking at his past. He's looking at his present. He's looking at his strength and his abilities and his knowledge. And he's only seeing himself. And that's why you and I struggle to do what God is asking us to do. It's why we struggle to keep going on when God asks us to keep going on. Because we're only looking at ourselves and we're only knowing ourselves. You see, Moses does not know Jesus here. He doesn't know what God is like. He knows of God, but he doesn't know what God is like. And he just looks at himself and he goes, I can't. And because I can't, I won't. How often do you find yourself in that boat? Where you're finding yourself in a situation in life and you're only looking at yourself and your abilities. And what you can or cannot do. And it's because you're looking at yourself, and only yourself is the reason you're struggling. So it's like Moses. Do you know what, Mo, what God does in times like that? He does it to me all the time, and I still don't know why. God actually meets you in that place. He meets you in those doubts. He meets you in those emotions. He meets you in those worries because that is who God is and that is what God does. It's what he does with Moses. Moses meets the I am. Verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God hears Moses, and he hears you in those fears and emotions and doubts And God meets you where you're at. And all those thoughts, just like He does with Moses. And the Lord says to him, He goes, Moses, I am who I am. He goes, I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. And I don't know if you've ever given it any thought, what kind of name... Is I am. What kind of name is that? It's not like James or Bob or Tom or like Georgette. I don't, it's not like that. It's I am. Like, what, what do you do with that? But do you know that God's name, I am, is the highest name of God scripture has for us, that God has for us. That the name I am, it is his covenantial name. It is the highest name of God. It is the name of God that you read throughout your Bible all the time. Hopefully you read your Bible. And if you've ever read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll come across where it says, the Lord. And the word Lord is capitalized, but it's shrunk down. Any of you know what I'm talking about? If you don't raise your hand, I know you don't read your Bible. Okay? All right, now I know that 75% of you don't read your Bible. It's the word Lord, but Lord is all capitalized, but it's shrunk down. That name, Lord, is this name, I am. It's a covenantal name for God. It's the greatest name for God. It is the name that He gave to Himself. And it is this name that changes absolutely everything, and here's why. This name of God is not just a name, but it's a glimpse of who He is. This is God announcing His presence to not just Moses, but to the people. It is God letting us know that we can know Him. That we can know Him. You see, this name, I Am, it means the self-existent one. The eternal one. It is God going to Moses goes, Moses, I don't need anybody or anything else to exist. I'm self-existent. It's telling Moses and the nation of Israel, I'm the eternal one. I'm the one from the past, the present, and the future. I'm eternal. I am outside of time, Moses. In this, it's telling us that God doesn't need anything. And this name is so deep, we could do a sermon just on it. But I'm going to give you this one other thing. You see, one way to look at this name of God is this, and I want you to get it. That the name I am means this, the ever and all becoming one. The ever and all becoming one. That God is ever there, always there. And he's also the becoming one. Not in the sense that God is changing to become something else. Not saying that. I'm not saying that God is becoming in the sense that he has to learn something new because God doesn't need to learn. He already knows everything. We're not saying that. But that he is the all becoming one in this sense. When you look at the names of God in Scripture, you see this name and another name added to it. I'll give you an example. Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. Jehovah Sidkenu, God is my righteousness. But yet, better yet, let's go to the New Testament. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? Seven times. I'll give you a hint. He goes, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of heaven. It is Jesus taking the name of God, I am, and he puts something else after it. And what Jesus is doing in that, what God does throughout the Scripture in that, is this. God is literally telling you that who you need and what you need at any given point in time is God. That whatever you need, wherever you're at, at any time, God is who you need. That's what the name means. Because Moses, this is who I am. Whatever you and my people need at any given point, goes. it's me. It's all that I am, all that I do, all my wisdom, all my grace, all my love, all my mercy. It's all of me. That is what you need given at any situation. That is who I am. That no matter what is going on in your life, it's not the vacation, it's not time at the beach, it's not the drugs, it's not the alcohol, it's not working more, it's not having more money, it's not buying another car or moving, it's none of those things. Jesus goes, What you need is me because I am. I am. No matter the situation, God goes, I am. You need encouragement? I am. You need strength? I am. You need wisdom? I am. You need meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life? Jesus goes, I am. This is why we struggle. This is why we stop. Because we lose sight of God and who He is as the I am and everything that we need in our lives, for our lives. And we try to find it in ourselves. We try to find it in our jobs. We try to find it in our relationships. We try to find it in our relationships and our, our bank accounts. And we try to find everything in all those things. And we're, we're left empty. And here's God going, what you need... It's me. I am the I am. that And so it's not just a name. It's God telling us who we are. See, it's God going, Moses, I hear you. And Moses, I am the answer to your fears and your doubts. And I love that. God does not take away the range of emotions and the questions that Moses has. But he shows himself within those emotions and the questions. You see, the more you know God and who He is, the better you're able to handle and walk through the things that life brings to you. I told you, a proper knowledge of who God is initiates and sustains us as we persevere in this life, as we walk with God. And that is what God is doing with Moses in these chapters. Moses, know me. This is who I am. Rest in me. God has shown Moses... Four aspects of himself in this chapter that should enable him to step out in faith and to stay walking with Jesus. And they should do the same thing for you as well. And don't worry, I'm just laying these at your feet. So, even though I'd love to preach on them longer, but do I know who God is? He's given you four aspects of himself in the chapter we've already read. Goes Moses, you want to know who I am? He goes, I'm holy. Verse five, where God is going, you gotta take your sandals off. This is holy ground. The holy means different. It means otherly. Guy goes, Moses, I'm holy. I'm different than everybody and everything. There's nothing that compares to me. I'm the Holy One. And why that matters to Moses and the nation of Israel is because of the Ten Commandments. Because there's an issue with the Ten Commandments that I'm pretty sure 99% of you don't know. But we'll get to that. God is telling Moses that He is outside of time. Outside of our ability to fully know Him. Yet you and I, we live and think as though God is just like the guy down the street. No, He's not. God is holy. And His presence should drive us to the ground and hide our face like it did with Moses. So God goes, Moses, I'm holy. I'm not like the other gods you remember back in Egypt. But then there's another thing. God knows what is going on in your life. Verses 7 and 8. Read these later today. But what God does in verses 7 and 8 is this. He calls to Moses... And he goes, Moses, he goes, I've seen the misery. I've heard their cry. I am concerned. And so I have come down to do something about that. Did you get what God just said? God goes, I've seen. I've heard. I'm concerned. So I've come down. That's who God is. God sees you. He sees you. In the range of emotions and life events they had thrown at you, God sees you. He hears your cries, He hears your prayers, He hears your heart. He knows what is going on, He's concerned about you. He's concerned about the things that have taken place in your life, that are taking place in your life, and will take place in your life. He's concerned for you. And because of that, God has come down to do something about it. Jesus came down from heaven to die on the cross for your sins so that you could be redeemed and brought back to a right relationship of God, with God. And to rest in him and his grace and draw upon him as your father throughout his life. This is who God is. He sees you, he hears you, he's concerned for you, and he's come down to be with you. That leads us right to number 12. God loves Siri. Number 12 is simply this God is with you. Verse 12. Moses goes, I can't do this. And the this is always different for us, isn't it? I can't do this with my kids. I can't do this with my spouse. I can't do this with my health. I can't do this because of my money. I can't do this because of my job. I just can't do this. And what do you and I always ask God to do? To take away or fix the issue. But God goes, I'm not taking it away. He goes, I'm with you. Why doesn't God change the issues? Why doesn't he fix things? Because if God changed the issues and just fixed things, then you would never grow in your knowledge of who God is. But as God walks with you through these things, you grow in knowing who God is. Moses goes, I can't do this. And God goes, Yes, you can, because I'm with you. Same thing he says to you I may not know what you're facing. You may not know what you're going through, but if you're in Christ, God's with you. And that's all that matters. And the last one is this. God knows the future. Verses 16 to 22. God goes, Moses, go back, talk to the elders, they're going to side with you. But when you go talk to Pharaoh, he's not going to let you go. He goes, I already know that's going to happen and I already have a plan in place. Since God knows the future, nothing is a surprise to him. Nothing causes him to panic. And so since God knows what you're going to be doing at 5 o'clock this afternoon and you don't, why are you freaked out about it? He knows what's going on. How well do you know the Lord? Could it be the reason you won't step out in faith? Could the reason you're struggling to keep on going simply be because you don't know who God is? You're not growing in your knowledge of who God is. And you're not resting in who God is. God is the I Am. This is what enables you to persevere in this life as you have a right knowledge of who God is. It is what gets Moses through. And it's what will get you and I through. Because he is the I am. But Moses isn't convinced yet. He still has some doubts. So what do we do with that? Well, join us next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, I thank you for who you are. I ask that you would help us to know you rightly, properly, so that that knowledge of you, that you yourself would strengthen us to do what it is that you're asking us to do. Help us to know that you are with us. Help us to rest in that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.